Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Just so you know, um, I am going to say quite a bit today about our ministry to children and our children's pastor, and you need to know that I've not gotten permission to do any of this uh, that I'm going to talk about today. Very interesting passage of scripture that we will get into, and, and we will be helped along, actually, by uh, what we can say and discern and how we can describe our, our children's ministry and our children's pastor in fact, I need to, I need to tell you this, um, our children's pastor, it'd be this person, is actually going to go on sabbatical here pretty soon, a well-earned sabbatical, but here's the thing, with a lump in my throat, we won't have her around for two months starting the second Sunday in November, and that's horrifying to me, and for a couple of reasons, Okay. Um, first of all, Lisa is an unending source of entertainment at our staff meetings. <laughs> we used to have this rule, uh, if Lisa's phone rings during a staff meeting, then everybody around the table has to finish whatever drink is in front of them. So, and for a while there, it was, it was I mean, it's a very characteristic kind of guitar riff sort of thing. It was like, okay, you have to make sure that you don't have something that's too hot right there in front of you because the phone is going to ring. But here's the other thing. Uh, When Lisa speaks in staff meeting for more than a sentence or two, she cries. And God is ushered (laughs) into every chair right next to us. there's a real, real sense in which, and I don't mind saying about myself or anybody else, I'm pretty sure Lisa's the, the, the best Christian in the room. <laughs> if for no other reason, man, she puts skin and flesh on Christ. So we will miss that uh, for a couple of months, and it is entirely appropriate for you to, between now and that time when she takes this well-earned sabbatical, I asked her, I met with her this week, said, so, so what are you going to do? During your sabbatical, she goes, I don't know, read. <laughs> so I'm sure there's going to be some fun things. We'll have time to, to do some things that she doesn't typically have time to do. But it is entirely appropriate for us to express to her today and between now and then uh, how desperately we will miss her and how deeply we appreciate what she does with, with children. So if you get that chance, I would encourage you uh, to do that. I don't know if you've noticed the, the, the subtle change in the way that the different classes are are uh, named now. I mean, there was a time when we had frogs and tadpoles and larvae. Was it larvae? I don't remember if it was larvae now, but it was something. Okay. It was that kind of thing. But now we have a little different theme. If you look around, you see words like, well, we have the leaves, and then we have the twigs, and then we have the sprouts. And it's because if you go into the children's worship area, and if you haven't, you need to go see what that's like back there. There are pictures of trees everywhere, trees everywhere. And and some of it has to do with this line that you and I have have rehearsed over the years that goes something like this. This is, uh, you are a tree in a story about a forest. You're a tree in a story about a forest. But it's also this other, this other phrase that we have tossed around having to do with trees and as it has to do with faith, it, it pertains perfectly here. We ask the question, how do acorns become oak trees? How do acorns become oak trees? So you can kind of sense it, right, that environment, the environment to grow is paramount as it has to do with our ministry to kids. We have uh, a couple different trees in our yard, one that's in front and one that's around the corner, and they are the exact same tree, right? And the one in our, in the, right in front of our front window is growing. The environment seems to be pretty good. It is growing, and it's growing at such a rate that someday, if it were to fall over, it could damage our house. Now, the exact same tree just around the corner, exact same tree. It's not growing <clears throat> at all, and we're not sure why. Can't tell whether or not it's dead so, because I'm not very good with trees. 
and can't tell whether or not it's dead. If it were to fall over, it would be a great relief, actually. We would just take it to the curb. Um, environment matters. Environment matter, matters. The environmental issues surrounding a tree, they, these all matter. The environment that surrounds seeds and saplings and sprouts and twigs, all of that, all of that matters because we understand, as it has to do with our children's ministry, we understand because we can look and see folks who are not yet as big as they're going to be, we understand that they are in process. And so we've, we've worked very hard in children's ministry to ask this question, who are our kids becoming? And how are our kids becoming who they're becoming? This whole question of, of becoming is an important one, and not just for kids, right, adults? Who are we becoming? Believers is the given and relatively easy answer, but I, I want to ask us a harder question, a harder question today that I think is asked in this parable, in this passage of scripture today, not a parable. What kinds of believers are we becoming? Who are, what kind of forest are we becoming, taken together? And then within that forest, what kind of trees are each of us becoming? What kind of a believer are you growing to be? It matters, it matters. And you and I are going to be measured today in terms of our faith, perhaps by an unlikely source. We're going to be measured. So the story goes something like this. Jesus is, is on this long journey. We've talked about this a lot. In this particular passage, uh, this long stretch of passages in Luke, we, we understand that Jesus is on the road. He's on a journey, and he's headed right toward this cross. He knows it. Everybody knows it. We all know it as we read the book. Jesus is headed toward this cross. He's headed there, and on the way, he has some remarkable conversations that sometimes remind us why it is that Jesus is headed toward a cross and why he has so upset the apple cart why he has so upset those who are in power, the institutions, we kind of understand it when Jesus says what Jesus does about money because we hate that. When Jesus says what he does about discipleship because we hate that too. I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's very difficult because we, we end up being measured by Jesus. And those are difficult passages, now necessary because they are in the Bible, but very difficult. So Jesus is on the way and he encounters a particular village and in this village, where there were likely to be both Samaritans and faithful Jews, he encounters 10 lepers. Now, before we go too much farther, I have to remind you, Jews hated Samaritans, considered them to be uh, unclean, impure, even in a sexual sense, impure and unclean, considered them to be wrong and chronically wrong. They all voted very poorly. Jews felt like the, the Samaritans voted very poorly every time, every time. There were all kinds of reasons for Jews and Samaritans to stay separated. In fact, you could get in real trouble if you talked with a Samaritan, much less touched a Samaritan. Now we're back to why it is that the Jews felt like Jesus was really challenging all of these commonly held, deeply held, long-time held beliefs and why we had to do something about them because Jesus was all the time talking with and even touching Samaritans and you just can't do that. Beyond that, he's in this village when there are, and, he, and he sees 10 lepers, 10 lepers. Okay, now lepers are perhaps people with leprosy, but it doesn't necessarily have to be leprosy. It, it might be any kind of infectious skin disease that would cause a person to be kicked out of the city, all the way out of the city, all the way out of the village, according to Scripture. <clears throat> according to Scripture that you can find in Leviticus and also in Numbers, if you demonstrate that you have some sort of infectious skin, skin disease, you are kicked out, kicked out of the village because you are unsafe for the rest of the population. They don't want this disease to circulate through the rest of the population, so you are kicked out until such time as the priest recognizes that you are healed and deems you worthy 
to rejoin the village. Now, as a part of that legal code, if someone was walking out of the city or out of the village and near you or past you and you were the one with leprosy, all of the people who had leprosy are supposed to cry out so as to warn you this was legal now. The law said that they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. In other words, veer around us. Keep your distance. And they were keeping their distance here. And perhaps they had already yelled unclean, but now recognizing this one, this Jesus, perhaps they'd heard the stories. Have you heard the stories about this Jesus? They had heard some stories about this Jesus that are just mind-blowing. And perhaps some of these folks had had these particular skin diseases for so long that their families had moved on. They had exhausted all of their medical ideas. They had exhausted all of their hocus pocus. And these are people who, by and large, understood themselves to be in a hopeless situation, marginalized in the most extreme of ways. And perhaps they'd heard the stories about this Jesus. Have you heard what they're saying about Jesus, y'all? Have you heard what it is that they say this Jesus is capable of, perhaps even now? Have you heard these stories? These folks had heard these stories. And they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, Jesus, if he was going to do what he was supposed to do, he was supposed to keep his distance. Good Jews keep their distance from people who have these diseases. That's what good Jews do in Jesus' day. But when Jesus saw them, he said to them, now this is, catch this, go, okay, you're standing here, now, go, all 10 of you, and by the way, interesting, it's, it's altogether possible that amongst these 10, you had this weird mixture of Jewish folks, but also Samaritans who had the skin disease, and their common pain created an odd community, which is what pain does. So this odd community was created, all of these folks with these infectious skin diseases, and Jesus, understanding the law of the land, said, okay, you all, walk, all 10 of you, go. All 10 of you, go to the priest and show yourselves to the priests. They still had their skin diseases until they obeyed and they went. How did you know? Go and show yourselves to the priests. And according to scripture, just take a look there at your Bible while I take a drink. Take a look at your Bible, verse 14. And as they went, as they obeyed, as they went, they were made clean. Man, this is a good day. This is a good day for all 10. This is a good day because, again, it's not just that they have the diseases, right? It's that because of the diseases, they had been separated from the rest of society, separated from their families, perhaps separated from their spouses, separated perhaps from their children, perhaps separated from their parents, separated from their systems of support, separated from their jobs. I mean, these were people who were marginalized. Their lives were in, de in desperate situations. They were in deathly situations. And they started walking toward the priests and they start looking around and said, this, this stuff is going away. My hunch is they didn't just walk to the priest. Hunches, they started sprinting for the priest. Wouldn't you? I would. On the dead run, I would be running toward that priest. And nine of them were, I think, in a dead sprint, running for the priest, except for one of them. Now, buckle up. This is about where we start to get measured. But then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, disobeyed. He turned back and praising God with a loud voice. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Now, nine of them were doing exactly what Jesus had said. 
okay? They had benefited from this Jesus, right? They had received healing. This is an important, important point. There are a couple different terms here used in reference to the good things that happened to these lepers. One of those words is translated as healed. Another one of those words is translated as cleansed. And we'll get to the third one at the very end, which I think is the most important. So nine of them, having received the healing, again, are doing what Jesus said, and they are running, sprinting toward this priest. But one of them decides to come back. It was the Samaritan who turned back, praising God with a loud voice. But that's not all. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And the root word in this word thank here is Eucharist. Does that sound familiar? And the Bible goes way out of its way to say, yeah, this one that came back, this one that came all the way back, it was a Samaritan. Shocking, shocking enough to note in Scripture. Shocking enough that it actually caught Jesus' attention. Verse 17, then Jesus asked, and we don't think he was necessarily talking to the Samaritan who had come back. We believe that perhaps he's still talking to the disciples, so I don't think it's a stretch to say Jesus still, is still talking and perhaps is still talking to us. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, <laughs> Jesus? What are you in this faith thing for? Why do we exist? It's another way to ask the question that I asked at the beginning of the service. Who are we becoming? What kind of forest are we becoming? Another way to ask the question is, what is it that you seek from this Jesus? Relief from physical pain? That is good. That's good. We actually desperately believe in these prayers for healing that are prayed here or over here, and by the way, if you are aching and in chronic pain, we want you to come so that we can pray this prayer, anoint you with oil, the sticky oil that stays with you because we want you to know the companionship of the Spirit and God's people as evidenced by this sticky oil. We want you to know that we believe in this prayer for healing, believe that God cares and can heal in all sorts of ways, including physical ailments. I've seen it, I've seen it. Is that why you're in it? Is that why you're here? Why, why are you here? Why are we here? Why do we exist? What kind of forest are we becoming? Why didn't the other nine come back? They had their families to get to. Yes. Yes, they did. And like I said, I think I would have been one of the ones sprinting but I hope I've got this much Samaritan in me. Why did the one come back but not the other nine? Why did the Samaritan come back? What, what did the Samaritan know that the other nine did not? The nine benefited from the ministry of Jesus They did not come back and fall on their faces at Jesus' feet for the purpose of Eucharist. Why are they in faith? Were they in it just for the relief from suffering? Were they in it just for the, the reconnection with family? Again, not bad things, not at all. 
But listen to what it is that Jesus says to this man. Then Jesus said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, this is that third term. We've had uh, healing, we've had cleansing, and now we have this last one, made you well. But the word there could have been translated, hear this, as saved. Your faith and your recognition of who I am and your recognition of, of the part that I play in all of life, your recognition of who it is that stands in front of you, your being able to see me has saved you. What do you see when you first behold faith? What is it you're seeing? Some of us, and perhaps I would have been one of the nine, see the benefits of God speaking a word into my life. And so there's a sense in which People like me in that moment are in it because of what we get out of it. And then there are folks, and I've seen them before, who actually see Jesus. And who, because they see Jesus, see in this Jesus one that has a say in all the ways that we are alive, in all the different conversations that we have, who, who see in this Jesus the actual Lord of the universe and allow this Jesus to become the lens whereby we see everything else, including ourselves, including our diseases, including our pains and our fractures. But first we see Jesus. So nine, and God loves those nine, got what they got. One saw Jesus, nine were healed, but one was saved. What does saved mean to you? Can I tell you, and, you, I, and I love you, but I will say this about you and I will say this about me at various points along the journey. Saved has not meant nearly enough. Now, perhaps we've all used the language, and maybe it's as thin as this as we've used it. God has somehow, somehow, we're not sure how, but God has somehow, by virtue of something that happens on the cross, and we're not sure what, but something, we're pretty sure we've been told something happens on the cross, so that we are no longer on the hook where sinfulness is concerned, and those are the ways in which we understand saved. Again, much like the lepers who were healed, I really like what I get out of this, and what I get out of this is not being guilty. But what if I were to say to you <laughs> that where salvation is concerned and where our being saved is concerned, that God has in mind something much broader and deeper than that? That's fine, and that is in there somewhere but what God has in mind is something so broad and deep that sometimes only Samaritans, desperate Samaritans, get it. It was a restoration, sure, of his skin, absolutely. But it's also a, restor a restoration, right, of all these different relationships. This Samaritan was doubly marginalized. Not only did he have leprosy, but he was a Samaritan, y'all. Doubly marginalized. Now, he's still a Samaritan, but he understands his whole life to be bound up in this Jesus, the author of life, and he understands his salvation to be far more than just finally being over his leprosy. He understands this Jesus now has his whole life right here, and he can trust this Jesus who now has his whole life right here. He comes back to Jesus, and now this guy does not have to go to the priest. He's been to see Jesus. That deserved more than that, okay? Hear this, hear this. This guy doesn't have to go and, act, and seek permission from the priest anymore because he sees in Jesus the one who is ultimate where permission giving is concerned. And if you see Jesus, you've got everything that you need. And by the way, you are really and deeply and fully saved.
that some of us in the room need our lives to be salvaged and saved. And what we need is actually something more today than just a relief from the eternal penalty of our sins. We need salvation to be fuller than that and deeper than that. We need salvation to have a say in the other ways in which we find ourselves in bondage or other ways in which we find ourselves in deathly situations. All of those situations I'm talking about now. And perhaps some of you are still walking through darkness and walking through deathly situations, but you have limited your salvation and the work of Christ in your life just to that little bitty piece that has to do with sin and sinfulness and eternal security. When Jesus wants to bring salvation to your entire person and lived experience. But sometimes only the desperate Samaritans get that. So who are we becoming? I was with uh, college students in, in uh, San Diego last week. And there are lots of churches around the campus of Point Loma, lots and lots of churches. And these kids, when surveyed, all say, I took a survey in April of last year, and in April, I mean, you're well into the school year by then, and a full 90% of those kids still expressed that they wanted to be a part of a faith community. They wanted to be a part of a faith community. But not, there aren't 90% of them that are parts of faith communities. So I was asking a, a particularly gifted student, what kind of church are you looking for here in the San Diego area? What are you looking for? He said, well, I want to see how they worship because I want to be able to look at how they worship and then determine what kinds of Christians they're building. What kind of a person am I going to be if I'm here for four years, Sunday after Sunday? <laughs> That's really smart. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what we're trying to do, but I'm going to start by telling you what we're not trying to do. I am trying to keep you from being a consumer here like you are when you go to a movie. And I know, Nazarenes are going to movies now. I get it. I've been there. It's all right. But you know how you, when you go to a movie, you sit in your flip-down seat, and you are the consumer. You're the boss, actually. And you can leave there saying, what I experienced was good or not, and you are the ultimate arbiter of truth there. I would like to help us to be liberated from the pressure of being a consumer when you come before the presence of God. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I'm, hear me, I, I want you to enjoy what happens here, but your enjoying what happens here is not of utmost importance to me, more importantly, not of, of utmost importance to God. Amen? Amen. All right, all right, okay. You can go to places that will fully let you lean into your consumerism. They're out there and you know where they are. Where you can go home and your, and your lunch conversation should go something like this. I really liked it. God was there. I didn't like it. God wasn't. I agreed. God must have been in there. I disagreed. Apparently God was absent. We, we cannot, as worshipers, also be engaging that muscle system that allows us to understand ourselves as consumers, and that happens a lot in this town, in every town. So I don't want to, over a period of time, I don't want that college student who comes here to four years later go, yeah, I think I'm a better consumer than ever before. 
nor are we riding the hype machine here. Now, having said that, if, if you wanted to more fully express yourself in worship, <laughs> I had someone ask me the other day, it was relatively new to our church, now when we sing, is it okay if we raise our hands? <laughs> yes. I don't know if you've ever been by Jason Smith up front, but yes, it is, it is okay for you. I mean, a huge bell I ring, a big dance, that all kind of thing, and I, I used to dance all over the place. Now, some of you, personality-wise, may be like me, and maybe that's not you, and that's okay, too. But yeah, we don't ride the hype machine, but if it, this truth thing gets to you at an emotional level, too, and that's okay, but we're not going to start with the hype in the hopes of getting to the truth. We're going to start with the truth, knowing that sometimes it will be emotional for us. Amen? Okay, that's what we're not. We're not riding on the hype train, and we're not consumers. I'm not trying to build you into better consumers of Christian material. Here's what I do want, though. I want us to be better Samaritans. I hope, now walk with me through the typical Sunday. And by the way, I've already, I've already blown this up today. I messed up the announcements early on. I screwed this up today. <laughs> We're doing them later. But absent the announcements, walk with me through a very intentional worship order. We enter in praise. Hopefully, you understand that's the moment, immediately. We want the sanctuary to be clean. We want you to have things to look at. We want you to, to observe that these windows continue to be beautiful. And I want you, immediately when you walk in here, to understand that you're not the point. And so we sing. Away from ourselves, we sing. And then we do this congregational greeting or passing of the peace. And I'm trying to say to you, yeah, the welcome and the hospitality of God, there are folks in the room who do not believe it until you say it or embody it. That's important. And by the way, so many of the things that, uh, that show up on our service order, they are rehearsal. They are practice steps because I want you to be these same, I want us to be these same kinds of people outside of this place. What if we could live as if it wasn't about us? What if we could live as if we were trying to make present and available to other people the welcome and the hospitality of God, even when we weren't in here? And we sing, we sing, we sing. Have you noticed that we sing the same songs at the same time? We try to start and end at the same times? In other words, we try to sing with one voice, and I hope that you are singing with one voice even when you're not in this room. And then... We listen as the word is preached. Sometimes it takes way too long. I'm sorry about that. I will talk to him about that. But we listen. We gather to hear from God. My people, may this not be the only time in the week that you crack scripture open and hear from God. We gather around the table. I'll come back to that later on past the plates, and this is craziness, I know it is, but you know this whole place, this whole place, including all of us who, who work here full time, this whole place operates based on your goodwill. You're voluntarily giving away from yourselves, and I am grateful that you do it here, and please do it here. We do believe that it is an act of worship, we just don't think this is the only place you should be, those people who give away from yourselves. But this piece that I passed over is now a weekly part of who we are. And, and, and you need to listen very closely to this. This is the most important thing we do every week. Because this allows us to return every week to the point of the matter which is, God loves us. God sacrificially loves us. And not just one time a long time ago. We don't just celebrate something that God did a long time ago, we celebrate God. And how it is that God continues to invite us 
even us. Listen, God knows you and still invites you. That's a big deal. To this table. Every single week. And you know what? i tell you what else is intentional. We don't pass the little plates anymore. We don't leave you in your consumer seats anymore to receive this. We ask your whole body to get involved in the receiving of the outstretched hands of God, in the hopes that over a period of time, and we say this sometimes, in the hopes that over a period of time, you start to get the point, oh man, I feel like having participated so many times, I'm becoming the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given for the sake of the world. Yeah, that's it. If, if this doesn't get out there, then you're not participating in this very well. And some of that's on me, I need to describe that better. This has to get out there for this to be true. And so every week, I ask you to walk unless you're incapable of it, and then we come to you, because that's what grace does. So unless you're incapable, I ask you to come from the farthest corners of this good-sized room to come, remember, like this, because this, this is the origin of faith. This, you receiving from God the grace that God makes available to you all the time, not just once a week, but I'm hoping if we do this once a week, you start to live as people who are always saying thank you. I'll tell you what, this sermon is not about how grateful you ought to be. You ought to be more grateful. Have you ever tried to argue someone into being more grateful? It's not about that. I'm not, I'm not standing up here saying you need to count your blessings. You probably should, actually. But I'm not saying that you ought to be more grateful. I'm saying if you're not grateful, you need to get a better look at Jesus. If you're not grateful, you don't have a good enough look at Jesus. If you need to come up here ready to swipe the bread, <laughs> charge the bread, I ask you to come up like this because... It doesn't start until it starts with the heart of God that comes to you like a gift. Man, I wish we were more Samaritan-like because when you get a good look, I think the proper response is on my face at the feet of this Jesus who, where my faith is concerned, has done and always will do way more work than I do. <laughs> All of that to say this. What are we doing as a church? What are we doing in this room? I can tell you this. We're trying as best we can from the song selections to the way that we put images up on the screen to the liturgies that we take part in week in, week out. We are trying to give all of us as often as possible a good look at Jesus. A good look at Jesus. Really, it's Jesus. And everything else takes care of itself. When's the last time you got a good look at Jesus? Because it takes care of everything else. It moves you where you need to be. It helps you to know what kinds of attitudes you ought to have. <laughs> When's the last time you got a good look at Jesus? If you were helping us, would you please come to set this table? We've had two beautiful baptisms today. I want to remind you that included in this particular experience is the possibility that you would come and dip your fingers into this bowl of water. It's very still right now. It won't be once you dip your fingers into it. If you dip your fingers into it, it's with the hope that you will remember the day that you had that experience, the day that you were brought into this family of faith, given this calling that we have as members of the family of faith. 
Who are we becoming? Well, whatever it is that we're becoming, we are becoming by coming to the table every week. Every week. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And use them, Lord, to shape us, to shape our imaginations, to shape our dispositions. The bread and the cup, Lord, if it could just shape our dispositions. If it could shape our imaginations. If it could then shape our conversations. That's all we need. So bless these elements, Lord, and help them to do just that. Shape everything about us. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left and to come forward towards somebody holding a plate of bread. As you get closer, that person holding that plate of bread will take a piece, snap it off, press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is where it all begins. It begins in God's heart for you. That person will place that little bit of bread in your hands and then, don't eat it just yet, but take that bread, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right next door will be holding this cup. Dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray. And here's what I'd like for you to pray today. God, I need a good look. I need a fresh look. I need to be able to see you. And folks, I will say it about myself, so I'll say it about you. We need a fresh look. We need a fresh look. So you can find a place to pray at one of these side padded altars where someone will come and pray this very important prayer for healing for you. Physical healing, emotional relational healing, any kind of fracture is dealt with and prayed over at those side padded altars. Or you could come to one of these altars and these altars. Any kind of prayer can be prayed at these altars, but what you'll notice is that you will not pray alone. Someone at some point will come and lay a hand on you, helping you to see that you do not pray alone. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. And every time you eat of it, I want you to remember me. I need the weekly reminder to remember. In the same way after dinner, he took the cup, he held it up before them and he said, and this is the blood of the new covenant the new covenant, and every time you drink it, remember me. And as your pastor, I would say, I need the weekly reminder. Weekly reminder. If you can't come to us, then Jason and Levi are headed to you. All across the sanctuary now, I want to invite you to stand. Exit your pew to the left. Come forward. Approach these gifts with open hands, cupped hands the gifts of God for the people of God, and all are welcome, all are welcome. All who understand their need for grace are welcome. You've been 
generous to me How can I worship more than singing Living redemption's melody I have been blessed Now I want to be a blessing I have been loved Now I want to bring love I've been invited I want to share the invitation I have been changed To bring change To bring change In Jesus' name are changed, we are called, we are chosen, adopted and named. In Jesus' blood, we are loved, we are healed, we're forgiven and freed of our shame. And we want to show you that we're thankful flooding your world with hope and peace help us to worship more than singing giving redemption hands and feet we have been blessed now we're gonna blessing we have been loved now we're gonna bring love we've been invited we're gonna share the invitation we have been changed to bring change to bring change we have been changed to bring change to bring change have been saved gonna shout about the Savior we have been found we're gonna turn over every stone we've been empowered to love the world to heaven we have been changed to bring change to bring change we have been of our children later on but would like to start right now with the prayer of confession God forgive us for somehow going through the motions of worship without ever getting the kind of glimpse from you that could result and our taking the posture of the Samaritan in this story. God, forgive us for being so familiar with emotions. Forgive us for building up the kind of callous that we built up that keep us from getting a good look at you. Father, what we need is a good look at Jesus. To recognize this Jesus, not only as the healer of our diseases, but to recognize this Jesus as the author of our lives.
Father, so many sick, so many in danger, so many in pain in our fellowship. If you would right now, you know who these people are. If you would pray right now for those people you know to be sick, or hurt, or isolated, or lonely. join me in looking at the screen. These are our kids' prayers that have been prayed over the last uh, month. If you'll join me in praying for them as well. If you will also join me in praying the prayer that the Lord taught the disciples to pray using debt and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 